Folks, a quick message from our sponsors, Know Before. So what's a con game? It's a fraud that works by getting the victim to misplace their confidence in the con artist. In the world of cybersecurity, we call confidence tricks social engineering. And as our sponsors, Know Before, will tell you, human error is how most organizations are compromised. What are some of the ways organizations are victimized by social engineering? We'll find out here in just a minute. Now, our sponsors' questions about forms of social engineering come in this form. Know Before will tell you that there's human contact, there can be con games. It's important to build the kind of security culture in which your employees are enabled to make smart security decisions. To do that, they need a new school security awareness training. See how security culture stacks up against Know Before's free phishing test. Get it now at knowbefore.com forward slash phishing test. That's knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Now, no before wants to thank you for listening to the show and I want to thank them for sponsoring it. They are the provider of the world's largest security awareness and simulated fishing platform. Be sure to take advantage of their free fishing test, which you can find at knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Think no before for your security training. From the cyber hub bunker in studio. You're listening to the CISO Talk Podcast. No sales, no bullshit, just straight talk. Straight talk. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar. Happy November, folks. We're Thank you for tuning in to the CISO Talk Podcast. I am your host, James Azar. I've got a great episode today. But before we get started, if you have not subscribed to our podcast, do so right now. We are in the month of November, which means, yes, there's a presidential election going on as we're recording this. It's the day after, and we still don't know who's going to lead our nation. Um, However, however, there is one thing um, for sure. It is Veteran November. And every single day at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I put out a new episode speaking to one of our veterans, so make sure you do subscribe and tune in and support those veterans. Make sure to comment on those episodes. Thank them for their service. They've done a lot. And now, without further ado, joining me today is Bob Turner. He's the Chief Information Security Officer over at the great University of Wisconsin. And since it's a Big Ten school, can we say the University of Wisconsin, like the Ohio State? No, we we just say go Badgers. (laughs) Bob, thank you so much for for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Um, Let's get started talking a little bit about you. How did you get into information security? What's your background and and how long have you been, you know, been doing cyber? Well, so uh, let's talk about information security in its purest form. Uh, That was my first exposure was uh, when I joined the the U.S. Navy uh, a a mere five days after my uh, 18th birthday. I found myself in boot camp. Uh, you know, a couple of, a couple of months there, learning how to walk and talk and and wear <laughs> different clothing, uh, and then uh, I went into uh, radio, uh, radium and A school, which is the you know kind of that foundational school, and that's where I was introduced to the concept of information security, the first thing. And you know, let's talk about the things we do today. We make sure our files are in the right drawer, they're in the right space, they have the right markings on them, so we know what the data is. Uh, and I learned, you know, right in the beginning that uh, my best friend was that GSA approved safe with the XR7 lock, you know, and <laughs> and uh, and that's how we secured the data. Uh, but then we also learned about data in transit uh, and we learned about cryptography and we learned about how to, you know, patch the systems up so they communicated. 
you know, the three major things I think about in uh, information security are the the eternal triangle. And, and you're, you're going to bet that I'm going to say CIA. Well, I'm going to tell you no. It's the A that is important. It's availability. If I'm not patched up right, if that crypto is not synchronizing right, if I can't have, uh, as a commanding officer of mine once said, I, if I can't pick up the radio, talk to the person on the other end, and they say exactly what I want them to say, if that happens, all I've done is broken even for the day. So uh, it's it's availability, integrity, confidentiality. AIC is where I see the triangle at. Uh, if if um, if I'm going to lock the data in a drawer at the end of the day or put it in a secure file storage area at the end of the day, um, that's what I've done for the security part of it. But if a system is not there when the warfighter needs it or when the business needs it or when the academy needs it or when a researcher needs it, um, I, I have failed in my job. Um, you know, I, I kind of went on in the uh, following my initial training. I went into uh, the Naval, uh, Navy submarine force and uh, had uh, some great experiences um, uh, deploying to a whole lot of really different locations, uh, new locations for me. Uh, you know, a kid from the eastern side of Washington State uh, uh, goes to Japan, Kenya, uh, Somalia, <laughs> the, the Gulf, uh, Perth, Australia, you know, Thailand, Hong Kong, all these other great, wonderful places that sailors get to go. Um, and, and I was there to see it and, uh, and it was, uh, interesting, but every time we had something going on, there was always that security context behind it. Um, what we were doing, the, the, the way we were conducting business, the data we were collecting, no matter how we collected it, that all had to be secured appropriately. And, you know, going on to that, to the, the age of the internet, you know, and that was back in, uh, uh, in in my experience, you know, kind of the the early to mid '90s when we started uh, uh, having things like Banyan networks, uh, Banyan vines was a, a popular uh, network construct at the time, uh, and then we suddenly realized that it was no longer you know mainframe and and uh, video display terminal. It was my terminal had everything on it, and my terminal had to talk to another terminal somewhere else or. We had to start exchanging data via servers. Ooh, gee, what's a server? <laughs> you know, we had to learn all of that stuff. Um, you know, working to protect the national defense and making sure that the information uh, stay where it was supposed to uh, stay was important. And and uh, I really enjoyed the opportunity to be in that part of the business. Uh, but it was also operating. Um, you know, we we went some really cool places. We did a lot of cool things, but the, the greatest uh, um, uh, satisfaction I got was when we actually made the connection. You know, we, uh, we sat in a, uh, a ship and uh, off the coast of uh, Somalia and we were able to pump data at high data rates back to the States so that we could have logistics support or back to uh, the people that needed it so they could process Intel um, or, have that uh, commercial satellite phone so families could connect when things happened, you know, uh, loss of a, a family member or, you know, just needing to make sure that uh, they heard a voice. Uh, that was a cool thing about being a, a, a commo in the Navy uh, in the 90s. Uh, from there, I retired uh, after uh, 2001, uh, mid-2001, uh, and I went on to work for uh, the defense industry as a contractor consultant, 
Um, security was my my big thing. Uh, understanding risk, managing uh, uh, and assessing risk appropriately, uh, and and doing those uh, those un, unsavory chores of auditing and testing and and making sure that uh, um, what was there uh, was there and making sure that it was set up correctly. Uh, you know, did that for a while, and then uh, all of a sudden an opportunity came up for me to come up to the Midwest to a research university that, you know, is is uh, basically a $3.5 billion a year enterprise uh, and help them build and manage and grow their cybersecurity program. Uh, kind of in a nutshell, that's my career uh, so far, and, and this has been – one of the most exciting, uh, one of the most fulfilling, uh, one of the most satisfying uh, parts of, of uh, my career so far. I'm, I'm hoping to, you know, continue on and, and continue doing great things, securing the, the information that is most important. And that's the stuff that makes people well again. That's the stuff that makes, uh, you know, uh, engines run faster, cleaner. Uh, that's the stuff that uh, helps us understand um, the political landscape even better helps us with business in general. That's the data I get to protect nowadays. I'm no longer worried about, you know, uh, ship position, troop strength, and all that kind of stuff. What I'm worried about is market position. I'm worried about uh, where is the data going? How are we doing it better? Are we dealing with larger volumes of data uh, quicker? Uh, I, I used to say bigger, better, faster, cheaper was the, uh, the way that we had to think of everything that we do. That's such a path. And one, thank you for your service. And in Veteran November, it's awesome to have veterans on the CISA Talk podcast beyond all the veterans I'm speaking with. So it's brilliant because this whole month, folks, every single chief information security officer on the show is a veteran. Um, so I'm, I'm really happy that I've been able to dedicate the entire month of November from a content perspective all around our brave men and women who've served in our armed services. And so it's, it's awesome to hear about your career in the Navy and kind of talking about information security from the very beginning and its, and its onset of physical security and now kind of in the digital cyber realm of it and how it's not very much different than it was then. Yeah, we're still putting uh, files in drawers. Um, yeah. And we're still making sure that uh, connections are made so that we can talk back and forth. And, you know, it's just a little different. Uh, you know, having the ability to to see you face to face in real time and talk to you was sort of a pipe dream back then. But now it's real. And it's well, the way we do business. It's the natural state of being. It was it was a Simpsons idea, wasn't it? Like the Simpsons kind of did an episode, I think, in the 90s or early 2000s where mm -hmm. um, Lisa was talking on a on a on a, on almost what something that looked like at the time like a sidekick if you all remember the old T-Mobile yep. phones from a decade ago um and she was videoing with someone else and so it's, it's a <laughs> um it's, it, it kind of goes back a little further than that if you think about it Star Trek you yep. know they had the the uh, the face-to-face uh, -face communications between the captains on the bridge of the starships you know that was that was real, and of course now you know modern day uh, television. We've advanced a little bit since the '60s. Um, you know we're talking about uh, data um, data wars in space. You know we're gonna we're gonna steal your data. Uh, we're gonna you know just looking at uh, certain Star Trek movies that have gone past us in the, in the the past uh, decade or so. You know the understanding the the damage that can be done by um, 
misuse of circuitry, misuse of data, um, you know, down to the, uh, the, the little uh, compact cards that they had and they would stick them in and that would be the entire operating program for the entire uh, 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 star, starship, you know, contained on this little disk. Well, what are we doing with it now? I mean, we're talking about petabytes of data. Uh, I had somebody uh, approach me about what would a uh, a terabyte network look like, and I'm just saying it's going to have to be fantastic. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about leadership as as we kind of go from background. You know, mm-hmm. um, we talk a lot, we hear a lot about you know kind of workforce shortage um, in cyber um, and and kind of the skill gap, but at the same time. When you're looking to onboard people onto your team, what's what's the X factor? What's the quality that you look for? That's kind of the you go. You can have experience, you can have the certs, you can have the degrees, but if you don't have this umph, you probably won't get a job on my team. If you're not curious, okay. And I think that the, the curiosity is a real uh, motivator. Uh, if you don't want to find out why something happened. Why did that server get taken down? Uh, you know, why did that data suddenly become unusable, unreadable? Um, if you're not willing to pursue that to the logical end, um, you're probably not going to do well uh, in our our world. And and uh, on my team, I have some really great leaders who are innately curious. Uh, and every once in a while, I kind of you know, poke <laughs> them just a little bit. What do, what do you think about that? Or how how should we approach? you know, uh, this particular, uh, routine. Um, but it also requires that you have the ability to be organized. Um, you can't just kind of go in, uh, um, you know, pardon the term guns ablaze and you have to go in with a strategy in mind. You have to go in thinking about proactive measures that are going to keep, uh, the data in the right place and available when it's, when it's needed. Um, and if that's where you're at, then, you know, if we have an opening and you're otherwise technically qualified, you're on it. And that also includes, uh, you know, no matter what your, your background is, what your, uh, your race, uh, creed, uh, gender, whatever. Uh, I want people who are curious and I want people that are, are organized enough to, to be able to do the job right. I, I love the, the curiosity aspect. We often talk a lot about passion, but curiosity is, is another, it's the technical term for passion. Right. Mm-hmm. It's 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 very uh, I love that. That that was such a great description. You know, when we look at the role of a CISO today, we think uh, of the silo of security that's been traditional in a lot of organizations. But mm-hmm. CISOs today are, are, are really kind of heading across the entire enterprise. Um, this morning I had a board meeting, um, you know, for the company and it, you know, and I'm sitting there and talking to the board about security, and we're no longer talking in the siloed aspect of IT. We're talking uh, emergency preparedness, post-COVID-19 plans, digital transformation and cloud. Um, there, there's a mm-hmm. lot of different aspects where now security is a part of it, including, you know, uh, 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 finance and the office of the CFO. And so I find mm-hmm. myself that I'm now no longer siloed anymore. I'm kind of more on top looking down at the org. I'm kind of not sitting in one side with a dotted line to someone and a dotted line. I'm almost sitting across right next to the CFO looking down at the entire org. But what do you think is needed from a CISO in order to be successful, not only in leading the team, 
but also in being instrumental across the enterprise to win champions for the security program. Yeah, I, I think you have to you have to have that technical um, understanding. Um, you don't have to be the the one who sits on the firewall. I mean, I, I it, it's been a number of years before I actually had uh, the opportunity to set contacts in a in a firewall. Um, I'm not a programmer. I don't play one on television, but I understand the value of secure coding. Uh, and and when I talk about to uh, the other directors that I'm uh, that are my peers and and uh, uh, frankly uh, enablers. Um, it's important that I understand that it, it, you don't have to be technical to do it all. And when you're talking to the rest of the university, you have to talk to them, the rest of the business, the rest of the organization you're, you're the CISO for. You have to talk in the terms, hopefully, that they'll uh, understand. And if they don't, then you have to help them understand. Uh, so I, I find it um, a, a portion of my time is trying to explain uh, in terms that are uh, useful for others so they can really understand it's not just running a scan for the purpose of running a scan it's running a scan to make sure that your system is ready to go and available and your data is not going to be corrupt at the end of the day that's that that a and the i in the right. uh, aic triangle right um, but it's also important that you help them understand um, the importance of security it, it you know it, there's been uh, so many bumper stickers out there. Oh, security first, or, you know, um, make sure that you're, you're keeping up on security, but it's really thinking about the data. I do have a sign in my office. It was given to me by uh, the university's first chief data officer. Uh, actually the words were given to me, but my wife actually made the sign and it's, <laughs> it's all about the data. If you think about uh, our job, it is all about making sure the data is there. It's available when you need it. It's making sure that data hasn't been corrupted by somebody who's just planted a, a worm inside of the server. Uh, and, and there are still worms out there. <laughs> um, and it's all about making sure that when uh, the data is managed in an appropriate manner, that it will be there when you need it. And you know, and it is all about the data. And I, I, I say that to myself an awful lot. Uh, I, I support the Data Governance Council at the university who are, are doing some really great work trying to figure out how to, how to appropriately manage and be uh, not only stewards but trustees of the data. Uh, if you think about it, it's, it's uh, very, uh, very rarely do we get to say it's all our data. Um, because we get it from multiple sources. We get it from uh, uh, people that are asking us to help figure out what that data really means. Uh, but we do have our own data. We have our original uh, research. Uh, uh, we have, you know, data that has been um, uh, examined and we come up with better conclusions. And that then becomes data that belongs to the university. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to say that um, if if you start with that data first attitude, and when you're talking to um, others around the campus, and you acknowledge that hey, it is their data, it's the campus's data, it's our data, uh, and you 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 try to help them understand that by following some basic protocols, your data can be there uh, when you need it. Again, harping on the A, uh, it's got to be available. Yeah, there, there's. Uh... There's an aspect of data, I think, that in, in, in academia and in research, the data is a really big aspect of, of security. Mm -hmm. and, and 
very interesting for me in enterprise. Uh, I've transitioned from data to finance. Meaning I've started talking a little mm-hmm. bit more about um, financial cyber fraud. Um, that tends to resonate a little bit more on the business side of the of, of, of the board. That That's something I spoke about a lot today. Because um, typically when I talk about data, they go, okay, all right. And kind of they nod their heads. And the moment I said, you know, financial cyber fraud, um, eyes opened. Yes. <laughs> and they were like, oh, well, what does that mean? And, you know, talking about business email compromise, talking about invoicing fraud, talking about payroll fraud, uh, stuff that really has an impact. Um, and that tends to resonate more with, again, I think with the business that resonates more in academia, the academia value, you know, it's like security is never a, it can never be a, it can never be McDonald's, right? It can never be a Chick-fil-A. It can never be a Burger King. It's never going to look the same from place to place. It's going to be different, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's different because your priorities is different. And at, at academia, you're trying to secure the research, that research, that data from that research, the students data, the, um, that's what's critical for a university to survive. That's the X factor of a, of a school. And in business, for, for decades, we've been talking about data and information. And data and information make headlines, but they don't really break down the barrier of budgets. They don't really break down the barrier of adopting security across the enterprise and taking it out of a silo. But money does. Everyone understands yeah. um, you know, money. Everyone understands dollar value. And that seems to resonate a little bit better. I'm wondering if that's a real, like to me, that would be a very cool kind of college research is going to like a really cool thesis is to go to a bunch of board members and be like, let me speak to you in data terms, money terms and business terms. And which one do you understand better? And what Mm -hmm. do you get out of each of those? Can you quantify risk based on these three approaches? Does that make sense? It, it is, and it, and you know, kind of another part about it's, it's all about the data. It's, it's not what you say; it's what you can prove, uh, and that's the. Uh, my team is uh, un- trying to understand, you know, the metrics of cybersecurity as they apply in the higher education uh, environment. What are the things that resonate? Uh, what are the the metrics that matter? Uh, I've always maintained that my two primary metrics is the mean time to detect weirdness and the mean time to remediate the weirdness. And the closer together they are, the better off we're doing. There's a success story there when you can say, well, we found it inside of two hours. Uh, We remediated it at hour number three and a half. And by hour number five, the system was back online. Yeah. You know, and, and, and uh, you know, we're approaching the rapidly approaching the opportunity where that has got to be, you know, almost right together uh, because of the, the way the adversaries are able to uh, access and and uh, uh, exfiltrate data or, you know, manipulate data or, you know, delete data. We have to be able to make sure that we're resilient in that. Um, the value proposition, which resonates well, is understanding what it takes to recover. So a recent example was there was a a, a research outfit that um, uh, got a little bit of ransomware um, and they obviously didn't didn't pay the ransom, which was probably my best choice. Um, But they understood that they didn't have a backup. And so now what are you going to do? So they have been 
you know, busily reconstructing from other data sources to create uh, the database they had before. Tremendously time, uh, 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 time sink uh, and expensive to do uh, because you've not only while you're doing that, you have to keep research going. You have to keep those projects in, in, in line. Uh, just like students, you know, when uh, when you uh, are at crunch time before you're turning in that final paper and all of a sudden you you, you press the wrong key and you just deleted the, the only living version of your final report, you've got to go back and figure out how to reconstruct it. Um, it is worth it in my um, CISO opinion to make sure you've invested in in backup. Uh, you've invested in data backup. You've invested in you know uh, system redundancy where you have the, the the freedom to do so and the and the resources to do so. Um, if if we could quantify all the costs of a uh, a total breach and if we could do that and say you know based on your your initial indications this one's going to cost you 1.6 million to fix. You know, or this one's going to cost you, you know, uh, uh, $80,000 in labor to fix, or this one's going to cost you, you know, pick your favorite variable and, and, and uh, the cost of doing business. If we could come in at the front of it and say, this could happen to you, here's what it would cost at the end of the day, um, then suddenly that, you know, $127 piece of software doesn't seem so bad. Uh, it doesn't seem like a budget buster. Uh, it doesn't seem like that uh, uh, $9 per copy per uh, student uh, um, security software doesn't seem like a budget buster anymore. Yeah, it's 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 very interesting how you approach that. And, and given this kind of conversation, is that where you find yourself spending a lot of time as a CISO? Are you kind of looking at those are you getting to that granular level level of, of of the security program, or are you very much kind of more of a strategic point of view of your of the security program? Yeah, so um, you know, I went to a, a course a, a little while back, and and uh, the the concept of staying strategic and proactive is really where I want to be right now. Um, yeah, it's fun to get down into the details. It's fun to examine the the you know how the bits and the bytes are protected. Um, but I have some great people um, that are, are working uh, with me and for me at the at the university, um, and they love getting down to the details because they know that I'm going to ask a question that's going to require at some point that they have that detail in their head. Uh, but it's also, um, you know, where is our time best spent? It's it's best spent thinking strategically. What is that next uh, opportunity for? Uh, shenanigans to happen in the network. And that's an official term, by the way, shenanigans. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, we, also, uh, we also look for the conditions of weirdness, and that's another uh, official Wisconsin term, conditions of weirdness, C-O-W, cow. It makes sense, right? Yep. Um, you know, it, understanding what the, what the realm of the possible is um, and understanding, you know, the kind of the cost of doing the business, it's important. That's a CISO uh, trait that a lot of us master, um, and it is often appreciated, uh, uh, when it comes in handy. Uh, so for example, when you're able to, to show the cost differential between, uh, investing now in a particular security, uh, control or coming back in later after the breach and you have to kind of patch it back up and, and, uh, shovel a little bit more money into it in order to make it helpful, uh, at the end of the day. And, I'd rather I'd rather have the barn door on a latch than have to close the barn door after the data's gone. Yeah, that's um, 
that, that that's <laughs> that's a good approach, right? That's a good Wisconsin term. I'd rather have you know the barn door. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, yeah, so, the one thing I have learned also is as a CISO um, is when I when I get down into the bits and the bytes and I get down into the technical, that's where you know the 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 non technical uh, people that I I do have to um, help understand uh, what's going on. That's when the kind of the eyes roll back and glaze over, and and they really would rather um, hear about it in terms that make sense to them and. I do spend a lot of my time trying to understand what their business is, how they do their business, and apply those same concepts. You know, there's still that file drawer out there with the, the manila folder that you put all the classified stuff in, you stamp secret on it, put it in the file drawer, spin the lock. Yeah, there's there's a ton of that. And in, in fact, I think um, we, we see that a lot with cloud databases today, right? Um, mm-hmm. a, lot of, a lot of organizations where they have, you know, DevOps uh, spooling up these these cloud servers these databases and throwing data up there for testing and then everyone forgets to take it down and shred it right like i personally Mm -hmm. think that in devops we should put a picture of richard nixon and um and just be like remember to richard nixon everything you do every night don't leave anything (laughs) there right just shred it i.e close it down stick a password on it Mm-hmm. So many times we do we do a cloud audit, and I find oh they've you know put up seven environments over the last you know three days, and then you call them and you go hey what's up with those oh they're test environments was there any real data there yeah well why aren't they password protected well well no one's gonna find it you know it's and I'm like really we found it mm. how how often do you go in and hear, well, it's, it's just a test environment. Um, it's okay. We don't need it available beyond the test. Well, Uh, if it's not there to conduct a test, that's the problem. Um, if it is using any, any facsimile of live data, live data, that's the problem. Uh, and to, to go into a test and not test, um, the data protection requirements, uh, either by contract or by law or simply by uh, just what is best practice in the industry, you know, that that's the ones that scare me probably a little more than others. Yeah, the, the idea of the construct of data and um, the, I don't want to say the dismissiveness of some, you know, the business has a business goal. Der DevOps, engineering, architecture, they're trying to meet a business goal, a deadline. They're trying to develop sure. a software, a product. They're solving a problem for a client. I get that. And I don't dismiss what they do and I don't belittle their work. Their work is extremely challenging. Mm-hmm. And it encompasses a lot of different aspects and it rubs elbows with so many different departments and so many different um, uh, business units within within an organization. It's the idea of testing and Q&A. The idea of testing and Q&A to me is extremely fascinating from a security perspective because that's where we see a lot of the kind of, you know, Twitter messages or LinkedIn messages that we get. I found, you know, this data sitting somewhere out there. And when you go and you look it up or you talk to someone, it's Q&A data, it's testing data. And some of it is, well, there's nothing in there that's PII. It's just names and email addresses. And I'm like, that, that's the definition of PII. 
That's of literally real people. The definition. I mean, if 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 they had, you know, uh, um, the the GI Joe character dolls, you know, if they had those names in there, if they had uh, just you know random John Smiths and and uh, you know uh, Joe Jones kind of names in there, uh, that would be one thing. But when they're actually using representative data, which I agree that there is a need to make sure that the, the to to get that test to be complete, you have to have real data. But you also have to understand that that is a test environment. And once you're done with that test, you probably need to do something else with the data rather than leaving it online for others to discover later. Because guaranteed, and you know as well as I do, that um, if the data is there and the system is not uh, paid attention to, the data will not be there or copies of it will start appearing on the dark web. Yeah, or or you lose business because of it because your and customers that's, that's the impact right right because your customers um you know your client the person who you're working for the company who you're doing business with has a more mature cyber program that finds this database as part of their due mm-hmm. diligence as part of their work um, as part of the different vendors they use and it impacts them just as much as it impacts you. And then your business case goes out the door. And there, there's an aspect to that where when we talk about security, often, often in, in the office of the CISO, I find that we need to start kind of looking at how do we bridge that gap? It's funny. I, I Whenever I do vendor calls, I always ask them in, in, in the request for a meeting, um, tell me two things you do different or better than someone else and tell me how you solve mm. those problems. And if if I like what you write, I'll take the meeting. And if not, then I won't. Um, that's, a, that's, you know, one of the things that uh, CISO has to do is be a leader. And that, that is also setting up those conditions of, of how valuable is your time. Uh, I do talk to an awful lot of vendors who have that next cool tool that is is obviously going to save me from digital Armageddon. Um, <laughs> uh, my current um, my current amount of unread, unsolicited emails is in my inbox is twenty thousand six hundred and fourteen. Uh, I, I say that because I I have to understand the volume of information that's coming at me. And I actually did a little bit of, you know, deep analysis on that. And probably, you know, 94 to 96% of those 20,000 are emails from somebody who who saw the, the word CISO in my title and said, oh, I've got to let him know about this new tool, this new wonderful thing. You know, we're, we're dealing in an age where budgets are strained. Uh, budgets are strained because of revenue loss. Budget, budgets are strained because of uh, you know drop-offs in uh, enrollment, or budgets are strained because of you know just those other uh, economic factors that we all have to live with. Right. Um, I mean, expenses have gone up. If a university yeah. wants to bring student, even if nothing changed, let's say none mm-hmm. of the data changed, right? And and sorry to cut you off there. I'll, I'll promise, Bob. I'll give you back your thought. But I, I think you brought up something really important, which is. A lot of times that's not really considered, which is in the era of COVID, yes, my business may be doing better, but my cost of doing business has increased. Yes. And so my margins might be lower. Well, and and it's it's that overall quality uh, of business. And I think kind of where uh, where I go on that is uh, for every vendor who asks for five minutes of my time, 
and you know like i said 20,000 some odd unread and everybody every one of them wants you know 5 10 15 minutes 30 minutes of my time uh it comes to a point where uh, and this has been a rant of mine on on a, a certain uh, business social media that it comes to a point where i really have to do my job and my job is not necessarily answering every email that comes across my desk but my job is to understand the ones that matter Right, uh, and and the people I need to talk to are mainly my constituents because they're the ones that depend on me to to make sure my team is in place doing the job that they do so very well, uh, and and they're there for the university. Um, but I also have to make time to listen to the good ideas. Um, you know, I, I have a kind of a laundry list of things that I uh, I would like to look for. My team and I have discussed this a lot. Uh, and if one of those comes across, I'm going to take the time to listen because, you know, even though budgets are constrained, we still have that strategic focus. We have to be thinking beyond the normal after next. And I'm, I'm using that uh, specifically because that happens to be part of the title of a paper uh, that I have written. Uh, but it's also understanding, you know, what is necessary in order to continue advancing the uh, state of cybersecurity with my organization. Every CISO yeah. in the world thinks that. Every CISO in the world uh, has that as one of their driving factors. Um, and, you know, every one of us uh, are, are trying to look out for the best interests of our organization, our clients, uh, the third parties that we do business with. Um, all of that adds up to that risk equation, likelihood and impact. Um, if I am if I am trying to reduce likelihood and impact, I'm doing the right thing because we all know math is math, right? Likelihood and impact go down, then that means risk changes as well. And, and uh, risk that is managed appropriately involves making sure that um, you're you're being the leader and you're understanding risk and you're helping people to understand how they can uh, mitigate or, or remediate totally the risk. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a that's a great point with the, the idea of remediating risk and stretching budgets around your risk. Sometimes, you know, with COVID, we saw a whole new set of risks pop in our our yeah. environments that we we really weren't prepared for. Not because we weren't we didn't see it to be necessary, but because we never felt it was needed. Right? Who would have thought that a hundred percent of your people are going to work from home? and yeah. use their home routers and some of them would use their own devices um who would have thought of 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 covid being what we're going through right now it's 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 fascinating um i've seen a lot of uh messages over the last month or so from from people who who come up with these new technologies and some of these vendors and you know they're like well we've got the perfect covid you know product to help you, you know, keep your people safe while they're working, you know, from home and, and, and all that stuff. And I, and I look at that and I go, well, that's interesting. Um, but at the same time, we've already done all of our workarounds. Um, and and <clears throat> we, we kind of know what we're doing. It's it's seven months later. COVID's like, I've added COVID to my uh, uh, filter, to my email filter, to my spam folder. If an email comes yep. in with COVID on it, it's going right there. 
Um, yeah, and and unless it's coming from an address you know, like so, maybe the uh, the chancellor is uh, sending out her latest uh, um, message on how to deal with uh, COVID in our current environment. Uh, those are the ones I tend to not want to screen off. But you're right, um, people that are are um, playing on the pandemic uh, still after you know these many months, um, they're not looking for the new normal. And that's where we have to be looking ourselves. We have to, again, say it uh, you know, 20 times a day at least. We have to be strategic. We have to think about where we're headed. Otherwise, we're just being tactical and reactive. And tactical right. and reactive is, is fun because it earns you quick points, but it doesn't necessarily solve the problem at the end of the day. Tactical and reactive is putting a Band-Aid on a gaping wound. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, it's very... Um, it, Putting a Band-Aid over open wound is a great description. I think the other part of it is being sensitive to what we're going through at the moment. Because business hasn't stopped. Um, life mm-hmm. hasn't stopped. We've changed the way we do business. We've changed the way we live slightly because of this um, pandemic. But at the same time, we still have goals. We still have KPIs we need to meet. We still have budgets we have to hold to. And when they start cutting your budget, you know, the last thing I want to do is cut my HR budget or my team budget. My team budget is, is uh, you know, losing, cutting their wage or losing two or three people is going to cost me a lot more money than dumping technology or withholding technology and increasing controls in place. Right. I can always add technology. I can't always find great people. You can always... Um, maintain your vigilance, though, uh, and that's the thing that uh, uh, the the best mix is one that uh, involves people, processes, and technology. Right. Uh, and I would say that uh, you know processes and technology are um, probably the two that are um, the the most rewarding because they give you an instant fix. Um, but they don't necessarily solve the problem because I don't know of a router yet that can think its way out of a fire. I don't know of a, <laughs> a, a I don't know of a, a a database server that can think its way out of a flood because the the uh, um, data center had a had a leak. Uh, I don't know of a a, a laptop that can withstand a three year old <laughs> finding that, out that, that is- it's not in fact a frisbee. <laughs> Or, or it's not something you throw on the floor because you didn't get apple juice. Uh, haven't had that one happen yet, but um, you know, I can I can see it happening. But it's also, you know, what happens when I put the data in the wrong place and I go back to pull it out of that wrong place and find out that it's already locked up. Yeah, it's it's gone. It's it's history. It is uh, irretrievable to me unless I pay somebody a lot of money in Bitcoin. You know, uh, it, it, is, it is also, um, you know, not anticipating uh, that um, whether we like it or not, Christmas is going to happen, whether we like it or not, Thanksgiving is going to happen, whether we like it or not. We're going to have to take that time and put ourselves in a position where if we're not paying attention to, um, you know, the, the uh, exigencies of the moment that we're going to let something bad happen. And it's going to happen during one of those times when we're intentionally drawing our attention elsewhere. So when you think about um, 
the normal battle uh, battle rhythm. There I go back into my military days. <laughs> the normal rhythm of of the work cycle. Um, if I'm if I'm waiting to patch because there's something else that is going on that I think is more important, I am rolling the dice. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm rolling the dice that it's not going to be exploited. Uh, if I'm watching my intel sources like I should uh, as a, as a cyber leader and understanding what the the potential shenanigans that are sitting around out there might be, um, and I'm not thinking about how do I avoid them or how do I patch to protect myself against them or how do I uh, you know implement a different uh, a different methodology for testing. That's when the weirdness is going to happen. That's when the the shenanigans prevail, and and that's when we're going to be sitting there. Uh, holding our hands and saying, hmm, didn't expect that. Yeah, I, I, I find, I find this, I find security controls sometimes and being vigilant and having visibility is a lot of times I find to be sometimes a bit more effective than the shiny box or the shiny tool. Um, mm-hmm. Because it keeps us, grounded um and it keeps us sharp and i feel like tools a lot of times create an alert fatigue they create a level of complacency i've seen that in a lot of socks i've seen that in a lot of uh, fusion centers that i that you know where i speak to to other uh, of our peers and they talk about the um the the alert fatigue and the complacency of rely reliancy on rely reliancy is that even a word I, I don't know. Um, you know, I'll, I'll the, take the extra e off the end of it, and we'll just call it reliance. How's that? Yeah, the reliance <laughs> on technology or the reliance on tool to do the work for you, and thinking that the tool mm-hmm. is one hundred percent right all the time. And I, li- I sometimes I like the idea of just stripping those tools for a little while and getting the team back sharp, kind of looking at it with two eyes, seeing what's happening, and then reconfiguring the tool. Because that gives them an opportunity um, to improve the initial configuration. Because like all things in life, attacks and offense evolve. Like the COVID evolved, like the viruses evolve, like malware evolves, like rancid. But you know what's not evolving is our reliance on tools. And once we configure Mm -hmm. them once, we never go back and look at those configuration. Or we set it to do it six months down the road, 12 months down the road. And when we do it, we go, well, there's nothing here. It's okay until the day where you go to access a file and you can't unless you pay, you know, bitcoins. Well, and and so so I, I totally agree with that. But, but let's take it from a different perspective. Um, when you can automate a process or you can automate... Uh, what is already a tool output? So, for example, uh, when you when you have your um, uh, vulnerability scanning tool also taking off uh, asset ID data or asset information about you know information about the the the, uh, the device on the end, when you're automating the way that that dev- that data is collected, the way it is put into your configuration management uh, structure or whatever it is, uh, and then you automate the way that you're told when things change. That's good automation because that takes that, that, that moving the, the information from file folder A and putting it in file, file folder B, closing the safe and spinning the lock. That takes that to a, a level where you don't have to say when was the last time I inventoried. 
that's part of a dashboard. That's a report that you get. Uh, you can automate um, the collection and uh, uh, display of information. You can pull that cool uh, graph out of your uh, your advanced threat protection suites uh, uh, GUI, and you can you can automatically put that into something like SmartSheet. And I'm not a product advertisement, but it's just understanding that uh, there are tools that can take that data and it can actually help you better display and better understand what is going on in your environment. From a, a leadership perspective, my investments in tools and processes and in people to understand how to do those routines, that's money well spent. Right. And, I, and I will tell you that, uh, you know, no tool out of the box is the perfect tool. The tool has to be tuned. The tool has to be uh, made uh, to understand your environment. If I don't take the time to do that, I've just put a new tool on there that probably has some real great value, real great capability, but I will never know what it is until I get in there and understand it and have somebody help me automate the functions of that tool so that they work with the rest of the, the tools in our kit. Yeah, that's that's interesting. So we're, we're almost out of time. I want to ask you one more question, and then we're going to go into our CISO insight round. Um, okay. Wh- what are you seeing us do insecurity that we're getting really better at like an old problem that we're you know we're on the brinks of solving it maybe through automation as you were just mentioning or something like Mm -hmm. that um are you seeing something where you go there's light at the end of this tunnel we're gonna get through this tunnel and we'll probably be able to mitigate this specific threat uh, uh vector or this specific risk or anything of that nature within within cyber yeah, I, I think your mileage will vary uh, depending on the industry you're in and and sort of the 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 approach you take to security at your at your um, uh, where you're at uh, where your office is. Uh, but the thing I I think that we're getting a lot better at is uh, understanding that nexus between intelligence and action. Uh, I think that we've we've got a lot more resources available to us now that are telling us. You know the the condition of exploits. Uh, we have uh, we seem to be getting a lot faster for the manufacturers reporting. Hey, we found this bug. We've now got a a, a, a patch for it. Uh, let's go ahead and install it. Um, but what we haven't done necessarily is had our local processes keep up with that. So, you know the 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 time from uh, exploit uh, occurring to a uh, mitigation that is discovered and to a patch that is available. That's the area where I think that if, if we're working to make that work close together, then we're, we're going back to that, that magic metric. I said, mean time to remediate, mean time to, uh, or mean time to detect and mean time to remediate. That's where we need to be at. And I, and I think that um, we're getting better at that. Uh, we're, we're getting really good at taking the Intel uh, and and trying to bring those two uh, as close together as possible. We have a ways to go, obviously, because in a perfectly round world, we're Bob's the king for the day. Um, <laughs> you know, we already know this stuff, and we already know the exploits there. We already know where the patch is, and we have it uh, using you know security orchestration and remediation technology. It's automatically patching. Um, but the world is an oblate spheroid, and I, in fact, am not king, so I have to do what I have to do uh, to, to make sure that uh, uh, you know that we're at least advancing in that direction. You know, again, strategic and proactive. Go. 
We got me again? Great. Sounds right. Can you hear me? Yeah, it sounds a little rough. Give me just a moment here. I awful mistake of bumping the cord. How about now? Is it still it's rough? It's calming down. It's calming down. Great. Let me... Don't breathe. Uh, For the rest of the segment, don't breathe. Don't breathe. My face, you know, my lack of sleep over the last two days and, and um, you know, <laughs> everything going on. Folks, <laughs> I, we're going to go to the it. favorite part of the podcast, the CISO Insight Round. I hope you're um, ready to go on the hot seat, Bob. Um, okay. Very difficult questions coming your way. I have a buzzword graveyard. And if you could throw any buzzword in that graveyard, what word would that be? Value added. <laughs> That's a first. I've now have to dig two holes uh, in, in my graveyard uh, this month simply because um, two people have given me new words. There you go. So, so here we go. What's one technology that will change the way we do cyber? Sore technology. Far and above everything that automates and remediates, that's what uh, that's where we need to have. Brilliant. What's the last book you read? Uh, Sanger's A Perfect Weapon. Interesting. Yeah, uh, I'm a big fan. Big fan of the Cyber Cannon. If uh, if you're familiar with it, I'm a big fan of it. Yeah, um, <laughs> very familiar with. It. <laughs> um, what's the last movie you saw? Uh all the way through. <laughs> uh, I have to admit it was the, uh, the, uh, the last one of the star Wars, uh, where Mark Hamill was a lot older. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, I, I actually, um, uh, the last movie I saw was the social dilemma and I've seen it maybe three or four times Ooh. on Netflix. And, and the reason I've seen it so many times is, um, it's, it's, it's an amazing, uh, documentary. It's a great film and it's highlighting some of the threats of social media, but it's also one of, one of the interesting things that I take from that film. And I urge everyone to kind of give it a, a, a watch is watch how they talk about AI, the social mm-hmm. media engineers, the whistleblowers that came on that documentary. That, it, I'll, I'll put that one on my list. It's it's fascinating. I think you'd really enjoy it. Um, also, The Perfect Weapon on uh, HBO is a great documentary. Good. Um, uh, another great one. What's your favorite music? Uh, you know, I'm a I'm a, a big uh, fan of uh, Christian modern rock. Okay, so like Third Day and and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I uh, I I really like um, uh, for King and Country as well. Okay, brilliant. So we wrap up and I want to ask you, what's one thing you took away from the COVID-19 pandemic? Uh, The value of doing uh, pandemic tabletops. We actually did one in the fall of 19. And (laughs) I, I, I am still mystified as exactly how we settled on pandemic for the topic, but we, we actually walked through that fall, everything that we ended up doing in March. And it was awesome. They're like, 
Bob, how did you predict this? And you're like, I, I didn't predict it. I didn't choose it. It was it was actually our deputy CIO said, okay, let's do this one. And and uh, it was just amazing. All of the things that we had to think about, all of the the uh, conditions that had to be set, all the contacts that had to be made, uh, we we nailed it. And that's you know I'm bragging about uh, the University of Wisconsin Madison. We we went from. Uh, Wednesday to Friday, and by uh, the next week was spring break. So by the following Monday, we had taken 37 courses, cores, uh, and brought them from in-class delivery to the ability to deliver online. I I love that. That's such a great like like little piece of nugget here. Um, Bob, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, I'm really grateful that you took time out of your day to be with us. I know you're. Um, you know, day after the election, most people are hiding in their bunkers, you know, waiting for whatever's supposed to happen. The, the zombie apocalypse is is what I've been, you know, if you if you're if if you spend any time on Twitter, um, you know, in the last few days, if you spend any time on Twitter, you feel like it, it's it's doomsday. Like you're waiting for the alien ships to come through, like Independence Day, and just start blowing shit up. You know, I. Uh... I also know that we have survived contentious elections in the past. You know, ever since our founding, uh, we have gone through the ebbs and flows. You know, we almost broke ourselves in half back in the 1860s. We survived. We'll grow. Whatever happens next, um, all we have to do is just keep our heads about us. You know, yeah. uh, the, the famous uh, 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 quote, you know, just uh, keep calm and carry on. Keep calm carry on most importantly our country's run by congress and senate but not by president technically speaking That's so right. know your constitution read the federalist papers understand what our mm-hmm. founding fathers intended for balance of power is really that the legislative branches do this and the presidency is more around foreign policy and ensuring that none of our rights are infringed upon I think if we 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 mm-hmm. we understand that, then maybe we take value away from presidency. We've made president, we've elevated presidents to kings, the do all be all. When really we should yeah. hold our, and we've ignored the branch that we should be holding accountable, which is our congressmen and women, um, and our senators. That's right. So just yeah, keep that in mind, folks. That it is it is the five hundred and forty five federal employees that we have to keep our watch on. Because the other 300 million of us have work to do. Yep. We've got an economy to build. We've got, we've got kids to educate. You know, we've, we've got experiences to have. We've got uh, um, books to read. We have movies to watch. Um, and we have just the whole world in front of us. And I, and I think uh, eternal optimism uh, is also part of our, uh, our nature and our being. And it has to be. Uh, I am optimistic that uh, as long as I focus on strategy and proactivity, my team is going to do great. Uh, I have I have uh, eternal optimism uh, that tells me that you know the sun's going to rise tomorrow. Uh, it would have to take something really cataclysmic to prevent that from happening, wouldn't it? The sun is always going to rise tomorrow, even in its darkest. Um, Bob, again, we're 
I know you have to drop off here in just a minute, so I want to be respectful and mindful of your time. I can talk to you forever, and you're an amazing guest, and you have an open ticket. Whenever you want to come and talk on the show, all you have to do is just say, James, let's get together. Thank you for uh, serving our nation. For And, and it, this is Veteran November, folks, so just make sure you tune in every day, Sunday through Friday. Take the Sabbath off. Enjoy it with your family. Listen to some music. Read a book. Go for a hike. The sun will shine also tomorrow. More veterans every single day on the Sister Talk podcast. This is our full Sister interviews, but every single day, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Another veteran talking about his journey in the uh, in the service and serving our nation to InfoSec. That's it for us here today, folks. Bob Turner, Sister over at the University of Wisconsin, a state that a lot of eyes are watching as we record this right now. <laughs> Until next time, <laughs> folks. Next week, um, Gary Hayslip will be joining me. Uh, the legendary uh, Gary. One of my Hayslip. heroes. He is. It'll be our Veterans Day episode. So make sure you tune in to that. Gary and I have an amazing discussion, and he shows off his Star Wars collection. So we get to geek out a little bit on that podcast. Until then, folks, my name is James Cesar. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast. We'll be back with more tomorrow with another November uh, Veteran November episode. Until then, stay healthy, folks. Stay sane, and the sun will shine tomorrow. The wise words of bob and most importantly don't click the link and stay cyber safe make sure to subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends and colleagues and get all the latest information at cyberhubpodcast.com 